Hello, and welcome to the Amplifying Optimism in Education podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Joshua Faden. This week, Michael and I are going to be doing something a little bit differently again. So for the past couple of weeks, prior to Kelsey's wonderful episode last week, Michael did a segment on mindfulness, and I did a segment about confidence building, two of the areas that we are passionate about in our own lives and with our own work. After sharing those episodes, we had time to um, get responses and to think about people's reactions. And what we're going to do today is to respond to several questions that were posed and that have been posed about our episodes and that we can continue to provide additional support and help around our areas of expertise. So the first question that was posed for myself is, what can educators do now to boost their own confidence during uncertain times? So it's a great question. And I think that, as I said in my episode, one of the keys for confidence building is to be able to think about how you can more effectively and efficiently manage the daily challenges that you face. And obviously, we've all been thrust into this uncertain time right now where every day brings new challenges and challenges that we've never faced before and perhaps never even expected that we might face. And so they can become very overwhelming if we don't stop to think about we have the general skills necessary to overcome these types of challenges. And so one of the big keys, one of the key elements that I have in my confidence constellation when we're thinking about the very basic level of starting to get ourselves on the track for building our confidence is this idea of connectivity. And I think for teachers, connectivity is such an important part of building our own confidence as teachers. Connectivity has many different meanings in this connotation of school and teaching as well. The first way that teachers build connectivity is in their classroom with their students. And so when you're building the connectivity, as I talked about with the project that I do with my students where we do the interview like a rock star, that's a great way to start to build connectivity. That's focusing on helping to build the confidence of our students. As teachers though, we need to find ways to connect to others as well so that we're not feeling isolated and as though we're siloed off and as though the, the Zoom room or the Microsoft Office Space Teams, whatever platform you're on, that that's your only way of interacting right now and that's your only chance to be able to provide um, social interactions and understanding of how you're doing as a teacher and as a human being. So the connectivity part of it is about creating that community, reaching out to others who believe in you and can help you to believe in yourself as a teacher, as an individual, as an educator. Creating those platforms. In one of our earlier episodes, we talked with Dana Thomas, who's the founder of an organization called the Happy Teacher Revolution. She talks about the importance of finding those spaces for providing mental health uh, platforms for teachers to be able to share and speak and, and have a support group. I would offer that during this time, that's more important than ever. And it's really an essential part of building your confidence as an educator is to create your network of people that you trust, that trust 
to you where you can say, hey, I tried something today in a lesson and it just didn't work. And I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know how to use this platform. I don't know what I'm not able to do that that may be a little bit different. You know, and so being able to share ideas, being able to share what is working in the classroom. Hey, I had this great idea of being able to play a Zoom game and I figured out how to be able to break my students into breakout rooms and, and then we were able to rotate and we did a really fun activity. And sharing the successes as well as saying, hey, I don't know how to teach this math unit in an interactive way. What have you guys done? What have others done that has been successful? And so I think building your confidence as an educator is about finding those resources for yourself and finding those people that can help you to believe in yourself and to be able to get what you need in these moments. And so really, as these are unprecedented times, and as these are uncertain times, and as we're thinking about, are we going back into the classrooms? Are we going to be doing hybrid models? What is it going to look like? And that brings about more anxiety, that brings about more uncertainty and more challenges. Continuing to think about, okay, I'm going to reach out to those people, I'm gonna create those networks, and then on top of that, I'm gonna set my own little mini goals for myself. I'm gonna be able to engage myself in my own learning, in my own way of progressing as a teacher and improving my skills and improving my, um, the offerings that I can provide for my students. And setting, okay, this week I'm gonna learn one new thing about the platform that we're using. And then the next week you come up with, okay, I'm gonna come up with an activity that is gonna be a super creative way to experience a lesson with my students that I might not have thought of in a different way and come up with these little different ideas and activities that you're trying out and give yourself space to say, if this works out great, I'm gonna continue to build on it and learn from it and grow from it. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay too, because I'm trying and I'm learning, I'm growing. And I can even use this as an experience for my students to say, hey, did this work? Did this not work? Be honest with me, I'm trying to, you know, we're all trying this new platform together. I'm trying to come up with ways that can really be engaging and interesting and fun for you. So we're in this together, guys, and use that as a way to also build connectivity with your students that can also be empowering to yourself and give you the confidence to know that, hey, I'm doing something that is really meaningful for my students and that we're learning together and we're growing together. And so as I think about what it means to boost your own confidence as an educator. Those are some of my suggestions as we start the school year here to think about how you can be able to view yourself as capable and competent and confident in your abilities, even though these are perhaps times that um, are pushing us to our brink and our, to, to our edges, our growth edges, uh, and, and forcing us to expand our uh, capabilities and expand our horizons as teachers and educators. But we're in this together and we will get through this and we're gonna be stronger. And in many ways, I think we'll be better teachers as a result of this. So use this as an opportunity, use this time and this space and this experience that we are all sharing to be able to really hone your craft and find fun and exciting and new ways to do things that you never would have expected to even had to think about how to do and let it be exciting and fun instead of overwhelming and challenging if possible and find others that can help you through that as well. The second question that was posed is, how do you assess whether confidence is an issue amongst your peers or your students? Uh, this is something that the very logical and, and specific answer is that I actually have an assessment that I use. Uh, so I create an assessment that 
allows teachers to see where themselves or their students are on a continuum uh, for the elements of the confidence constellation that are the toolkit that's used to help students and, and yourself and your peers through your challenge cycles that you go through when you're experiencing different challenges each day. And the assessment is it has 45 questions and it looks at specific elements to each of the uh, of the specific 12 parts to the confidence constellation and it helps to give you a snapshot of where students are in the moment and it's a great way to have be a conversation starter. Uh, and so I'm happy to talk to teachers, to talk to schools, to talk to whoever might be interested in learning more about the assessment uh, that can actually specifically talk about where you are on your confidence constellation, on your journey through your challenge cycle and how what you need in order to complete your challenge cycle. In terms of though, just the signs, what we're looking for as teachers, how do we know if there's confidence issues that we need to be addressed? There's several things that we can be experiencing with our students that might be red flags, so to speak, or might be things that can um, give us an insight into where our students are. So. The first, obviously, is when you're doing official assessments. If you're noticing that a student is struggling, that's a great way to kind of check in and say, you know, is this just the moment? Is the, was the assessment just too challenging? Was it not uh, developmentally appropriate for you? What about the assessment was difficult? Um, where were the challenge originating from that made this so that it was something that was a challenge for you? And you want to see, is it a confidence issue that is in that moment just from this assessment, or is it something that's been building? Is this a, an assessment that is kind of bringing to light the fact that the student has been feeling like they've been struggling for a while, and this is just a culmination of that uh, moment where they said, you know what, I can't even show what I know because I don't feel like I know anything, and I don't know how to say it other than to do really poorly on this assessment. Another way is to listen to what our students are saying. You know, students will jokingly sometimes say, oh, this is boring. Oh, I feel stupid. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, this is too hard. That type of language can be really uh, a way for a student to be crying out for help to say, you know, I, I, it's, it's boring because I don't know it. I just don't understand it. It's too hard because I don't have the skills that I feel like I need in order to answer it. It's too whatever because I'm just trying to figure out how do I even cope with the fact that I don't know where to begin to express what I could possibly know about a particular concept or skill or task that I'm being asked to do. Another way to assess it and to understand is the behavior. So oftentimes when students are acting out, and we label them as behavior issues, uh, as somebody that is not responsive, when they're Zoom in this instance, when we're on, on in, in a virtual setting, when their Zoom windows are closed, they don't have their cameras on, or when they do turn their camera on, they never unmute themselves, they're not asking questions, they don't participate in small groups. Those are all signs as well that something might be going on outside of this particular lesson, but also that something might be impacting their confidence in terms of how they're viewing themselves as capable of bringing themselves to the full lesson, being able to fully participate and be able to be a part of the discussion. Um, so oftentimes if a student is too quiet because they don't want to say anything because they're afraid to be wrong, or a student is overly dramatically acting out and, and, and trying to cause distractions and issues and trying to, you know, when we are in class in, in person, trying to get themselves kicked out of the classroom or, or on, on online when you're trying to have them be kicked out of a Zoom room or say, you know, you can't be part of this if you're going to be behaving this way. 
instead of thinking about it as a behavioral issue, think about it as where did this, what is causing this? What are the roots of that behavioral issue? And how can I then assess where confidence comes into play with this? And what am I looking for is really to, to say, okay, is the behavior because of an issue that's outside of the classroom? There's external forces that are acting on the student. Is the behavior because my student doesn't want to say, I don't know, I don't have the answers, I'm confused, I'm overwhelmed. This is a topic that keeps coming up every year of my education and I don't know it. I need help, but I don't know how to ask. I don't have the language, I don't have the words to say that I need help. So those are some of the things that you want to be looking for, you know, with your students to be able to determine where are they, what do they need, and is this an issue of confidence that you want to be able to give them the language and the tools of confidence building, of the confidence constellation to have another way of expressing themselves to say this is what I need and this is how I need to get it so that I can view myself as a learner, I can view myself as capable, and I can view myself as confident. So those are some of the factors that I would look for when I'm trying to assess is there an issue of confidence here and then also just have that conversation with your students. If you're not sure, it's not guesswork all the time. You can actually say to the student, I'm curious, where is this behavior coming from? Are you confident with this material? Is this material too easy, too hard? What is it? And let's have that conversation and be able to really break it down so that you can have meaningful conversations that can allow the student to engage and participate and get what they need. And then the class itself can also engage and participate and help to get everybody what they need in that moment. The final question that was posed is, why is confidence important for student achievement? I think it's a really important question because my goal has always been to bring confidence and the language of confidence and the confidence constellation and the challenge cycle to the forefront of education because for me, confidence is foundational in learning, in growing students and helping students to empower themselves to get what they need on their educational journeys. And so why is it important? Well, you have to have students that are believing in themselves as capable of learning. They have to be able to say, I can see myself learning how to read, how to write, how to learn algebra, how to study the scientific method. Whatever the topic is that you're teaching, if you have students that are in that class that are, have already viewed themselves as not capable, as not confident in that subject matter, they shut down and turn themselves off from being open to even being receptive to the learning that you're providing them. So I often say you could be the greatest teacher in the world. You could have the best lesson plan. It could be the most interactive lesson. It could be have every part of, of Bloom's taxonomy covered. It could go through all of the technical aspects of what makes a great lesson. And yet, if you have a student that lacks confidence in themselves as a learner, they're not receptive to hearing what you're saying, to being able to participate fully in that lesson. And so the issue here becomes, you start to say, well, this student just is lazy, disruptive, not understanding this, behind, they need additional help, they, they, they have special needs, whatever it is that we're starting to say about a student, instead of saying, really, is there a foundational part here that we're not addressing? 
And so I often think about students that I've worked with over the years who have come to me resistant around a particular topic. The language that they're speaking to themselves is a very negative language that's telling them and, and perpetuating this idea that I can't learn whatever it is that I know I can't learn. And so even if you're working with that student and you're putting them in small groups and you're giving them the lessons that they need, their mindset is that it doesn't matter. There's nothing that you can do in that moment that can help them to get what they need because they don't even think that they're capable of it or worthy of getting that lesson. And so confidence and student achievement go hand in hand because when you help a student to have the language of the challenge cycle to say, okay, I know that this is just a challenge that I can overcome. I can be able to think about how I move myself through my challenge cycle, how I have the tools to be able to get what I need in this moment, and how I know that it might take time, but I'm it's worth putting the effort in it and I will put the effort in. Then in those moments, you are changing a student's vision of themselves, the way they view themselves, and you're changing a student's trajectory because it's a mindset shift. You know, we've talked about mindset shifts before in school, but confidence, the language of confidence, the work that I do with students, and the reason I do this work is because at a cellular level, we want our students to be able to change the narrative in their head, to change the critical voice that's saying to them they can't, to saying to them they can't do this yet, as Carol Dweck says, the power of yet. You know, changing the voice in your head to say, I can be confident around this subject matter. I can be confident in myself as a mathematician, as an author, as a reader, as a scientist, as a historian. I can be confident in whatever it is that I need to be confident in. And that mindset then allows the student to get what they need, to ask for the help they need, to say, this is how I learn best. This is what I need to get whatever it is that I'm trying to achieve on my journey. And once you use that mindset shift and the student starts to be able to have the language and the teachers have the language and you're working together to say, what do you need to be confident? Students now start to have the ability to take the lead on their own educational journeys and to be able to say, I want to go ahead and learn more. I want to keep proving myself and showing what I know for myself, for my own personal growth, because that really helps me to grow as a student and to grow my mind, to grow my skills and to grow my knowledge. And then the achievement follows with that because it's the students who are taking the lead, wanting to achieve more and more, wanting to be the ones that are setting their own goals, wanting to be the ones that are having that euphoric feeling of, oh, I get it now, aha, thank you. Now I know how to do X, Y, or Z, whatever it is that you're trying to learn to understand. So when you have a confident student, a student who really understands how to move themselves through their daily challenges, their achievement in their classes goes hand in hand with the improvement, with the progress that they're seeing in themselves and, and how they view themselves. And so I would say that it is paramount and that's why I do the work that I do. That's why I'm passionate about building student confidence because it is a, a natural byproduct of having more confident children is having students who are achieving more and wanting to continue their growth as learners because they view themselves as capable, excited, lifelong learners. So thank you again for these wonderful questions. I hope that these responses have given you more food for thought. Feel free to continue to reach out to ask these questions to contact me at joshua.faden, J-O-S-H-U-A.F-A-D-E-N at gmail.com. You can go to my website, www.communityofteachers.com, all one word.
reach out. I'm happy to, to talk more, to, to help you to be part of that connectivity that we talked about earlier about helping educators to grow their own confidence. And so this conversation is something that's so important to me. I think it's important to be having right now in, in, in the educational field. And so thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this journey and continue to build your confidence so that you can build your student confidence and that we can continue to, to make the change that we need to see in our educational system. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. It's now time for part two of this episode of Amplifying Optimism in Education. This is your co-host, Michael Carson, and I'm here to talk a little bit more about mindfulness. You may have listened to one of our earlier episodes where I lead you through a lesson blended with mindfulness meditation. It's about 10 minutes long, uh, a couple episodes back. And uh, this episode is just talking a little bit about mindfulness, and my co-host, Josh, has given me some questions he thinks would help us all understand mindfulness a little bit better. And I've been thinking about these questions for a little while, about a week or two, and I think they're good ones. So I'm going to start off here. Uh, we'll go for a few, for about five, six minutes. What is mindful learning, and how do we cultivate this in our teaching and learning? So mindful learning is a pedagogical approach, it's an, it's an instructional design approach, and it's a way to build in wellness and social-emotional learning into the curriculum in a way that connects with uh, your students' ability to develop their own self-motivation uh, for learning, and to do this in a way that helps them find balance between different subjects, between different activities, personal and educational lives. And it's also great for teachers because, see, the first thing that's most important, the first five minutes of everything, uh, when it's a long period of time, like a class, or even a lunch, is really best spent quietly and going inwards. And mindfulness is a great way to cultivate that. Five minutes is a long time, and so for younger children and beginners who are curious about really enhancing their learning, mindful learning is important because it can help you develop these sort of neural pathways over time, over, you know, a month, a year, uh, four years, eight years, you know, 12 years, and really the whole lifespan. And it's a student-teacher partnership. So it really generates a lot of wonderful rapport between teachers and students and uh, really fosters learning communities. So a uh, second question is, how do we create the time and space to begin a mindfulness program? So another good question, and that's where uh, two things come together. Number one is over time, you actually will start to spend more time being mindful and mindfully learning, which might be more time spent being quiet, uh, uh, engaging in self-care activities, learning, reading, studying at a leisurely pace, making time for it, focusing on nutrition and uh, movement and just overall wellness in a connection with what you're interested in and what's really important for you to know at the point uh, you are in your life or if you're a teacher thinking about your students it's really over time developing an appreciation for the ability to really increase productivity and engagement and interest and enjoyment in uh, you know learning and working and growing uh, so you know, in the beginning, though, 
you can create time for mindfulness by just taking a few moments here or there. Uh, a quick exercise, and again, in the previous episode, I, I explain this in more detail over a slightly longer period of time and guide you through a, a sequence of uh, little rapid techniques that can help you uh, enhance your mindfulness practice, you know, in a way that just finds room in the gaps. Uh, you know, for me, I really started my uh, daily practice by hooking it on to my coffee in the morning. So I put a sticky note where I grind my coffee beans and it reminded me to breathe for a minute. And, you know, I had a minute while I was waiting for my coffee. Maybe I get a glass of water and just take uh, even 30 seconds to, and you can try this now, just loosen your jaw, like let it, let it drop, stretch it down. Let your tongue fall to the bottom of your mouth and slow down your breathing. So if you just do that here and there, you know, in between classes, if you walk your students through that uh, real quick in the beginning of class, or if there's a minute at the end of class, or uh, as a transitional tool in the way you plan your lessons, you know, it really just takes a minute. And especially with kids and even adults, right? You might, uh, you will not have as deep of experience now with even that exercise as you will if you continue doing it over, you know, a couple times a week or even a couple times a day uh, for 30 seconds because you're developing stronger neural pathways over time. So uh, as you yourself as an educator begin to find little spots in your day where you can be mindful, and there's so many different ways to learn mindfulness activities, and I teach some, like I said in the last episode, that are very rapid, evidence-based, that will help you over time be more present, uh, be more focused, be more productive, uh, just feel better in general, be more responsive and attentive to your own body's needs and your, and your emotions in a way that's healthy. And you'll begin to start to really help, uh, you'll begin, it'll help your teaching of mindfulness, even if you've never taught mindfulness before, because you can start practicing, you know, informally with your kids. And that's what I mean by taking a second here or there. Uh, so can it be, okay, class, we're going to start with uh, the lights off for a moment of silence and then, you know, have them, let them know when you're going to turn the light back on after maybe 10, 15 seconds, if they're younger kids, even less time. And you can build the number of seconds in there over time and add deep breaths into it and things like that. And then just warn them when you're going to turn the lights back on. So you can find time and you'll you'll start to be able to get more benefit out of it uh, the more often you do it. And you'll realize how it increases productivity in general. So that's how you'll you'll find time. You'll, you'll get creative with it. And I think we're uh, been recording for a bit here. So last question. How do I know if I am doing it right? And what might I be noticing or feeling or experiencing? That's a great question. Uh, and that's, that's the reason why I recommend people start small. Because everyone thinks they're meditating wrong. Because they have thoughts. Because, you know, like they, they're still stressed and thinking and being anxious. And, and things aren't, you know, what they think. They're not feeling uh, how they think, you know, a monk who's been meditating for their entire lives feel. And you don't even have to meditate for that long. It's really just finding moments where you center yourself and you downregulate your nervous system. Again, uh, can find lots of information out there about that. Uh, get in touch with us or listen to the last episode to learn more. And uh, you, you're doing it right if you experience resistance, <laughs> if it's hard for you to do it for more than five seconds or for your students for two seconds even. That's why you just keep going and trying and coming out. And uh, 
and just give yourself a chance you know give yourself a few weeks before you judge it you know a few days of it even uh, and just you know cultivate a practice uh, so i hope this information was helpful maybe getting you a little bit more interested in mindfulness uh went a little longer than five minutes more like eight uh, um uh, i'm here in the shasta trinity national forest uh this month and so we'll be releasing some episodes uh maybe a little bit this month but probably later um uh, later in the fall uh we've got some great episodes that will help you with practical things like remote learning and uh, even integrating back into the classroom in terms of uh, just being comfortable around each other and, and working on the anxiety and the stress and the resilience needed to be in education during this time. So they'll be coming out uh, later this uh, fall and in the winter and, um, and we're going to have some cool stuff for you in the new year. So I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode about confidence building and mindfulness and it gave you some Uh, greater insight into how you might consider incorporating that type of work into uh, just, you know, little bits and pieces into your lessons or into the way you work with your faculty or your parents or the different ways you might uh, approach uh, finding better ways to increase overall student engagement and uh, have success uh, more quickly and with more ease with student-centered learning approaches and project-based learning approaches. Uh, you might consider confidence building work or mindfulness training, and you can get in touch with us if you're interested. Uh, so thank you for listening to uh, this episode of Amplifying Optimism in Education. Uh, I'm Michael, and uh, Josh and I will uh, be talking to you soon. Josh and I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of Amplifying Optimism in Education. Please join us next week for another new episode and conversation with an innovative educator from around the world.